0: Would you please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12? In just a moment, we will be reading one verse of Scripture from that chapter. Proverbs chapter 12. As soon as you find that, I would like to go before the throne of grace and mercy one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this privilege of corporate worship We thank you for the presence of our Savior with us. We thank you for the multitude of blessings that you've showered upon this congregation individually and collectively in this past week. We thank you for our health and strength and safety and food and clothing and employment and comforts and the joys of life. They all come from your hand. We ask that you would forgive us for seemingly an even greater multitude of sins. Our hope, as we have sung, is in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we thank you for these tithes and offerings and pray your blessing upon them and the furtherance of the gospel. We pray that that gospel will especially spread throughout the pagan nation of France. May it run with free course and extend your kingdom. Lord, bless those who are not well. We think of John and Nancy in Plano. We pray that you continue to help Nancy to recover from her surgery, that you will comfort her and John in these difficult and challenging days. And we pray for our dear sister Angela and ask that as she weakens day by day, that she will be strengthened in the inner person. Now, Lord, bless us as we come before your word. Help us to come as little children Help us to put ourselves under its authority. Give us illumination. Inspire us to to alter our behavior in accordance with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you feel when you know someone thinks you're stupid? How do you feel when Someone tells you you're stupid. How would you feel if someone you really respect tells you you're stupid? What if that person who told you you're stupid was God? While we need to be very careful about using the word stupid, which is going to be used repeatedly in this sermon, and that may bring some challenges to you who are parents and are trying to keep your children from using that word. While we need to be very careful about it, as we were helpfully reminded by Pastor Jonathan in his two sermons about words, especially Words that kill. The fact is God actually calls some people stupid. In fact, he calls some of us who are gathered here today stupid. And the reason is because some of us hate reproof. Notice our text, which is verse one. Twelve simple words. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And you may say, well, that's the ESV. I'm surprised they took such liberty to use that word. Listen. The King James uses the word brutish, which is a quite a colorful and helpful word. It means you are as dumb as an animal. But the NIV, the New American Standard, the, the ESV, which I just read from, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Net Bible, they all use the word stupid because it is a good translation of the Hebrew word. And I assert again that God calls some people stupid. Now, this verse is clearly divided into two parts. They are both statements of fact. They're what we would call indicatives. They just indicate something. they are about two different kinds of people. One is a positive statement about people who love discipline. And the other is a negative statement about people who hate discipline. Reproof, And everyone listening to me this morning is basically characterized by one of these two statements. Isn't it amazing how discriminating God's word can be? It's so black and white. It's so categorical. It divides us all into the categories of lost and saved. Believers and unbelievers, righteous and unrighteous, wise and fools. And here we're divided into the category of those who love discipline and those who hate reproof. We are one or the other of these two kinds of people. These two statements which are antithetical or simply Opposite of one another are statements of contrast. There are about two kinds of people who have polar opposite feelings about the same thing. Now, the thing that some of us feel completely opposite about is described in our text just a little differently, but it's actually the same thing. It's because of what's called Hebrew parallelism. In Hebrew poetry, the same thing is said two times, but slightly differently the second time. In part A, the thing is called discipline. In part B, the thing is called reproof. But these two things are really the same thing. It's when someone out of love comes to us and says something like this. You really shouldn't do that. That's not going to serve you well. That's going to get you into serious trouble. The consequences of what you are doing are detrimental, dangerous, even deadly. Here's what God's Word wants you to do. When someone comes to us with a word like that, it's a form of discipline. It may come through parents who say something like, son, we will not allow you to do that. You must never do that again. There will be consequences. That kind of confrontation, brothers and sisters, is a form of discipline or instruction. It may be only what we would call formative Discipline, words of instruction, or it may include some kind of punitive or corrective discipline. In part A of our verse, it's called discipline. In part B of the verse, it's called reproof. They're the same thing. But the two different kinds of people have two entirely different polar opposite attitudes about Discipline or reproof. One loves it. The other hates it. I didn't say the one who loves it finds it pleasant or enjoyable. But I said one loves it and the other hates it. It's a little bit, I guess, like two people sitting down, each to a bowl of burgoo. One loves it and the other hates it. But they either love or hate the same thing. And I want you to see that it is the same thing that is loved and hated in our text. Now, I want you to imagine a a whiteboard behind me or the screen down and PowerPoint. And in the very center behind me, I want you to see a, a big circle. And in that circle, it simply says corrective, admonition, instruction, reproof, or discipline, something like that. Just think of those those words, corrective, reproof, or discipline. And then I want you to think that over to the left we have Bob and an arrow going to it. And it says, Bob loves discipline. But over on this side of the screen we have Bill and an arrow going to the same thing. And it says, Bill hates reproof. That's what this passage is about. One thing looked at and felt about differently by two different kinds of people. The person who loves discipline, even though it is usually hard on the pride, loves discipline because that person, according to our text, loves knowledge. You see that? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. The person on the left, Bill, hates reproof. You know why he hates reproof, according to our text? It's because he is stupid. That's what the text says. He doesn't love discipline. So there it is. You may have noticed on the e-bulletin this week, that the title of this sermon was simply wise up. About stupidity. Subtitle. The folly. Of hating reproof. Or I could say. The folly. Of not loving. Discipline. So. What do you need to know about stupidity. In order to wise up. What will help us wise up. About stupidity. The answer is very simple. Stupidity. At least in one form. By God's. Definition is hating reproof. Or, by implication, not loving discipline. Two kinds of people, two different attitudes about the same thing. One attitude of love, one attitude of hatred, characterized in two different ways. One loves knowledge, and the other is stupid People who love discipline, characterized by loving knowledge. People who hate reproof, characterized by stupidity. That's all I'm going to say about the verse. But I think it would be helpful now just to read it again, all right? You've heard what I've said. Divides into two parts. Two different kinds of people. Two different attitudes about the same thing. Look at Solomon's words. Whoever loves discipline, or it could be translated instruction, Loves knowledge. But he, or we could say she, who hates reproof is stupid. Now, I want to briefly demonstrate how much the book of Proverbs has to say about this subject. You know that the book of Proverbs in many sense can be studied topically and that's what we're doing in this little series. And I want to give you a quick flyover of what the book of Proverbs actually says about hating reproof about receiving or not receiving counsel, advice, instruction, discipline, commands, reproof, rebuke, admonition, correction, whatever you want to call it. Our text uses the words discipline and reproof. Some of the statements that I'm going to read for you are about the person who does humbly receive discipline and reproof because he or she loves knowledge. We're told some of the Statements are going to be about the person who doesn't love knowledge but hates reproof. And some of the statements are going to be about both kinds of people. Now, when I went through my own personal topical index of the book of Proverbs, which I would commend you to do on your own, I think you should follow Pastor Keith's um, illustration. I did it for 20 years at two different times for 10 years. Read through the book of Proverbs once a month by reading a chapter a day according to the calendar. And just let topics jump out at you and start jotting them down and start cultivating a kind of topical index. I got carried away with it, and I found 242 different subjects. Some of them are very minor, and they're only mentioned once. But I could easily take you to 30 or 40 or 50 Topics that are repeatedly dealt with in the book of Proverbs. So when I came to the issue of advice, counsel, wisdom, command, reproof, rebuke, and so forth, I was overwhelmed. I was literally overwhelmed. I found no less than 62 verses on this specific subject. That's a lot. And I actually thought about just reading them. I have them all listed right here. I'm not going to do it. I have them in the, in the order in which they come. But I put a little asterisk by some of the ones that I want to read. So I'm going to read them very quickly. I want you to follow with me. You don't have to. If you'd rather just write them down so that you want to study them later and listen carefully, that's fine. But please join me in being impressed with how much God has to say to us about our ability or our inability to receive Reproof and admonition and instruction. Be impressed. I read first from chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going very fast. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verses 23 through 26. Wisdom is speaking. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out. My spirit to you, I will make my words known to you because I have called you, called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Chapter six, verses 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart. Always tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. And when you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. What? The reproofs? of discipline, there are our two words, are the way of what? Life. Chapter 9, 7-9. through nine. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Chapter 10. Verses 8 and 17. 10. 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments. But a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 17, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The chapter we have chosen our text from, 12, but just notice please verse 15. 12:15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a man a wise man listens to advice. 13:1 A wise son hears his father's instruction but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Verse 10 By insolence comes nothing but strife but with those who take advice wisdom. Verse 13 Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Verse 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. 1710, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Wouldn't you think if you hit someone a hundred times trying to drive a point home to their soul that probably after about 50 or 60 hits he's starting to get it? But when you get to a hundred, you're sure he's got it. Solomon says, No, not if he's a fool. A rebuke, one rebuke, goes deeper into a man or a woman or a boy or girl of understanding than a hundred blows. To a fool. 1916. I'm almost through 1916. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Verse 20. Listen to advice. Accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Verse 25. Strike a scoffer. And the simple will learn prudence, reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. Verse 27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. When you quit listening to good counsel, you are headed for trouble. Chapter 25, verse 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold, is a wise reprover to a listening ear. You like jewelry? Attractive, tasteful jewelry? When you listen wisely to someone who gives you good instruction, it's like receiving an attractive piece of jewelry. And finally, chapter 29 and verse 1. This is a warning. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. What a warning. Dear brothers and sisters, I only read a few verses out of the 62. Are you impressed? Are you overwhelmed? Do you at least go away saying, wow, Wow, God has a lot to say about this business of listening to people who give good counsel and good advice. God has a lot to say about the humility and yet the wisdom of receiving rebuke and admonition. I better take this seriously. He said too much about it for me to take it lightly. That's what I want you to feel. And now I come to the third point, and that is that I just want to quickly identify... Some of the main spheres of of application for this whole principle of receiving advice and counsel and admonition and reproof. reproof. Uh, What I'm really talking about here are categories of relationships. It seems to me as I thought through this this week that there are four categories. This is very applicable to the home, to school, to the workplace and to the church. I'm going to speak most about the church, actually. But in the home, how should the ability to receive reproof work itself out? Well, it should work itself out, first of all, in marriage. And yes, I believe that wives have every right to reprove their husbands on occasions. It shouldn't be terribly unbalanced, but If we men can't receive an admonition or a reproof or some counsel or advice from our wives, we're proud, proud men. They're fellow heirs of the grace of life. They have insight and they know us better than anyone. And there are times when they need to say, honey, you're not doing the right thing. This is wrong. Please don't do that. You should not do that. Do you bristle when your wife tells you something like that? You shouldn't. And, of course, husbands should say the same things to their wives when it's appropriate and when it's necessary. So this should be happening on a horizontal plane in our marriages between husbands and wives. And how hard, we all know it is, we who are married, how hard it is to receive reproof or admonition or rebuke from a spouse. I don't know what it is. There's something about it. It's it's sort of like children hearing it from their parents. Very difficult. But, dear people, if you... If you will remember this, please, every time you are legitimately reproved, even if that reproof comes from a non-Christian, even if that reproof comes from someone who is less spiritual than you, the issue is, was it worthy? Was it legitimate? Every time you receive a reproof from someone, it is a test of your grace. It is a test of the genuineness of your conversion. It is a test of whether or not you have been given a new heart by God. It is a test of whether or not you have been basically made humble. And we should be exercising that precious grace of humility in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationship to our spouses. But, of course, this is applicable, of course, uh, with regard to parenting. And this is where It's not really a two-way street. Parents have to rebuke and admonish and discipline and correct and instruct their children. Boys and girls, young people, I know it's hard. And your parents know it's hard because they were once your age. Hard to take admonition from your parents. Especially if you know that they're not perfect. I was trying to encourage a young lady this week in that very regard and reminded her that Jesus was the son of two parents, both of whom were sinners. Yes, Mary was a sinner. Only Jesus was not a sinner. And there were times, no doubt, when Jesus saw the inconsistency in his mom and dad. No, he never needed reproof because of sin, but I'm sure in his human nature, he needed correction, which was not an issue of sin. Maybe he wasn't brushing his teeth the way maybe Mary had to say, son, go up and down. Don't go like this. I don't know. I'm sure that Joseph had to help Jesus learn how to saw properly. Don't saw that way, son. This is how you must. It wasn't a rebuke or reproof with regard to sin, but it was correction. But Jesus submitted sweetly and kindly and humbly. Of course, he was perfect. And I have more to say about that at the end. That's why he can be our savior. But the point is, boys and girls, many times you will be reproved by mom and dad and you need that reproof. And no, they're not perfect. But your duty and your privilege before God is to humbly receive it and say, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. I needed that. That's helpful. And to the extent that you find that difficult, you need to pray for grace, which I will say more about in just a moment. So this this works in the home. It works in the school, obviously, with regard to teachers and pupils. There'll be times when your teacher will have to reprove you, reprove you, admonish you, instruct you, correct you, discipline. Your posture needs to be I will sweetly, I will happily, even though it's difficult, even it's a blow to my pride. I'm going to I'm going to receive this. For my good, that's all I want to say about school. Of course, that pertains to coaches and athletes. But then in the workplace, many of us have these relationships where there is over us a manager, a supervisor, a team leader, and you're just the employee. You're under someone's authority, and they have to come to you and they say, you can't do that. You're, you're coming to work late too often. That must stop immediately. That's a reproof. That's a correction. What do you do? Well, your job may be at stake, so it's, it's a little easier perhaps to submit. But you should quickly, quickly receive the admonition and the reproof. But now I want to come to the area of the church. This need for us to listen to one another and to respond to one another is really vital to our Christianity. It's vital to the life of the church. Now, of course, there's a pastor people relationship. There are times when we may come to you with the word of God and admonish you and reprove you or exhort you in some way. And if you have every reason to believe that the shoe fits, that the word of God applies to you in that situation, even though it comes and feels like a reprove, don't reject it. Thank God for it. It's really God who is speaking to you. And you should humbly receive it. Don't bristle. And yes, you have pastors who are sinners and that you could easily wish were more consistent in their lives. But that's not really the issue, is it? The issue is God is speaking to you through someone and you need to respond humbly. But then this should be manifested as well in our relationships with one another on a horizontal plane. You men should be able to receive admonition and rebuke from your fellow Brother in Christ. And you, sisters, should be able to receive the same from your fellow sister in Christ. And yes, there are times when women can legitimately admonish men. We have to be humble about this. We have to learn. And again, we have to realize the second we start to bristle, say, I don't like this. This doesn't feel right. This makes me angry. When I said I don't like this, it made me think of something Pastor Keith and I kid about. Because when Jonathan was a little boy, he had this contraction for the words, I don't like it. And it came out like this, I don't like it. I don't like it. And we used to say, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. But isn't this true? There's that down in our hearts and in the hearts of all of us. When when someone comes to us, even if it's legitimate, I don't like it. Who does she think she is? Who does he think he is? That's not the point. The point is, was it legitimate? How proud, just really how proud are you? If that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth or at least in your mind, I don't like this. That's not good. What did our text say? He who loves, loves discipline, loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay? Memorize that. And when your flesh rises up within you, and particularly in the area of pride, say to yourself, This is from God. This is good. I need to be humble. I need to be able to receive this. This will make me wiser. This will give me knowledge. Now, I just want to show you real quickly. Since we're in the book of Proverbs, I'll show you these in Proverbs. And then I'm just going to remind you of two passages and move to my last point. Proverbs 27, uh, verse 5 and 6 are fairly familiar to us. Many of you remember the first time you heard uh, verse 6, but let me read verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. You say you really love someone, but you're hiding the evidence of it by not being honest with them and plain spoken with them. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And then Solomon falls quickly on the heels of Of verse 5 by saying faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Any Judas can come along and kiss the, the cheek of a Jesus. But only a truly faithful friend will wound you. Faithful friends don't wound because they get a kick out of wounding. They wound because they love. They love you too much. They want to help you boys and girls, young people. When dad and mom have to correct you and reprove you, I know that in your heart it makes you angry and you feel like saying they just hate me. The devil wants you to think that and he wants you to hate them. What you have to say is, you know what? They really love me. I don't like what they're telling me not to do. I don't like what they're telling me to do. I don't even entirely agree with it, but they're not asking me to sin. And I know behind the whole thing, whether I think they're right or wrong, is love. They love me. And so it should be in our relationships with one another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Haven't we all been wounded by our friends in ways that helped us become more like Christ? But then, would you notice, please, verse 9. I had forgotten about this nine, this verse. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. It's nice to be around people who smell good. <laughs> now look at the other half of this verse. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes manifests itself in counsel that's earnest. So when someone comes to you with with earnestness to counsel you, to help you, see it as, this is sweet. It feels bitter, but it's actually sweet. This is God in his kindness coming to me through my brother, through my sister. Now, In Romans chapter 15, these are the last two passages that I want to show you about how this should be worked out in the life of the church. Romans 15 verse 14, the Apostle Paul uh, commends the church there in Rome for an ability that God's grace had given them. Obviously, their hearts had been changed. Obviously, the basic backbone of pride had been broken in them. And they learned to love each other so much that they could speak the truth into each other's lives. Look at verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. There's something that really satisfies me. I'm, I'm convinced of this. That you, yourselves, you believers there in Rome, are full of goodness. That's essential to this process, by the way. Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. That's essential. And I'll notice, enable to instruct one another, to admonish one another, to confront one another, to rebuke one another. All of those ideas are wrapped up in the Greek word. It's actually his translation of this verse that gave J. Adams the title for his book, Competent to Counsel." And he argues that Christians who are filled with the knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are competent to counsel one another. You know, that's one of our visions as your pastors for this church. That's one of the reasons why we have our care groups and these community groups. It's one, it's not the only one, but it is one. We want to go deeper in our relationships. We want to go deeper in our love for one another. We want to go deeper in our commitment to each other. And we don't want all of that just to happen at those meetings twice a month. We want spin-off relationships to develop where brothers will, will feel free to call each other and say, Hey man, I need to have lunch with you. Uh, would you meet with me this week? I've got something pretty heavy on my heart that I, I need your help with. I'm struggling. And he may... Unload his heart to his brother and say, I'm struggling with pornography or whatever the case may be. We hope that these kinds of relationships will develop, but how are they going to develop if we don't work at it and work toward it and love one another in the way that the Christians in Rome loved one another? Paul says, I'm really proud of you there. I'm really excited about this. It thrills me to know that you have reached the place in your Corporate godliness where, because of goodness and because of knowledge, you are actually able to counsel one another. Wonderful! It doesn't depend only on your pastors. You are actually able to counsel one another. That's what we want. We don't want a continually and primarily top-down ministry here. We do see the point of top-down. Pastors and teachers given to the church to equip the saints... For works of service. So brothers and sisters. As hard as it is to go. And as hard as it is to have someone come to you. By the grace of God. Let's develop that humility which is able to give and to receive counsel. And Always remember that when it comes. It's a test. It's a test of grace. It's a test of humility. It's actually a test of whether or not you're truly converted. And I'm not saying that if you found it difficult to receive it, you're not converted. I'm saying if you hate reproof, you're stupid. If you love discipline, you love knowledge. And that's an evidence of God's grace. Finally, you know this passage, but I want to remind you of it Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It comes in a context of exhortation. It's about the confidence we have to enter into the holy of holies and how we should hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. And then in verse 24 of Hebrews 10, we are told that we should uh, consider how to stir one another To love and good works. This is one of the 27 or so one another's. And again, it's hard to develop the one another's back there in the lobby and in the parking lot. They can be developed there, but it's in a a limited way. So we need to get together. We need to spend time with each other. We need to get to know each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to develop the love That enables us to say, I'm going to try to stir my brother up to love and to good deeds or good works. And then in verse 25, it says, not neglecting to meet together, which isn't just about coming to church on Sundays, dear brothers and sisters. It is about that. It's surely about that. But it's not just about that. It's about living in community with one another and loving each other and caring for each other and spending time with each other and helping each other. What do we do when we come together? He says, but encouraging and some of you know that that word can just as well be translated admonishing. It's that same Greek word to confront one another with a faithful word. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day that is the day of Christ's return, drawing near. And then you see how serious this is by the next verse. For if we go on sinning deliberately. Basically, we're going to prove that we weren't truly born again. We need each other. Sanctification is a corporate endeavor. Sanctification isn't just a personal thing. It is personal. But it's more than personal. We need one another. And we need to have the courage and love to go to each other. And we need to have the deep humility to be able to. To receive those faithful words that come from our brother, our sister. So those are some of the spheres of the application. Now, I conclude with this. I just want to explain real briefly what accounts for these two categories of people. Now, I'm I'm back to my text. What are the two categories of people? Have you got it? If you close your Bible right now and you had to take a quiz, could you could you write down on a piece of paper these two categories of people? A, there are. Those who love discipline and B, there are those who hate reproof. I want to tell you again. You're basically one or the other. Now, if you're a genuine Christian, you will struggle with discipline and reproof because of remaining sin, but you don't hate it. You do respond to it. Basically, you find it helpful in your Christian life. If you hate it basically and you cannot receive it, you are not a Christian. And you are, according to God, stupid. So those are the two categories. Now, my question is, what explains um, the behavior of these two categories? How do you explain these kinds of people? Let's go to B first. Let's go to the person who hates reproof. What's that guy's problem? What's that girl's problem? What's that woman's problem? What's that man's problem? Well, the problem, of course, is pride, but If pride is a basic predominant characteristic, that person's problem is sin. They're not, if they basically can't receive it, they're not converted. The problem is they have a sinful heart. They're still very, very proud. The backbone of pride has not yet been broken. That longing to... Have the knowledge of God and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to live obedient to his word and to bring pleasure to God by offering our lives as a living sacrifice to him in how we live. It's not there. That's what's wrong with that person. He or she has not been born again. They're not converted. They're not saved. They haven't come to repentance. They haven't been humbled before the Word of God. They haven't seen their true sinfulness in their desperate need of Jesus Christ. That's what's wrong with the person who hates reproof. Basically, sin. And that's what makes such people want to be their own boss. Boys and girls, do you want to be your own boss? Be honest. Of course you do. There's not a human being that doesn't want to be their own boss. But if you want too much to be your own boss and you can't submit to mom and dad, that's an evidence that you need to be born again. And one of the evidences of true saving grace among children is a new desire to please mom and dad and to, re- and to be um, submissive to their authority. Not perfectly, but basically. so we must repent of that pride and we must flee to the Lord Jesus Christ please don't forget one of the proverbs i read said in 15:10 whoever hates reproof will die will die so that's what explains category b what explains category a what causes people to love discipline i've already answered the question it's the new birth it's being born again it's having your heart changed by God. It's grace. Is the problem of the one who hates reproof is sin. The strength of the person who loves discipline and the cause is grace. They've experienced salvation. They have a new heart. And so, even though they may struggle to receive it, they want to be helped. They do love Discipline. I was thinking about <clears throat> David, the psalmist. Some of you know what Psalm 141.5 says. David said, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. Can you say that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said and meant it from the depths of your heart? Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. He doesn't mean, you know, a Christian come up and just whack somebody and slug him. He's talking about a verbal, loving admonition. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil in my head. Do you remember what happened in the case of David when Shimei cursed him? I reread that story this week. It's in Second Samuel, chapter 16, and Shimei was saying terrible things about King David, untrue things. And he was throwing stones at him and just cursing him, continually cursing him. And David didn't retaliate. And one of David's best men came to him and said, it was Abishai. He said, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take his head off. That's what I want. I want to take his head off myself when someone admonishes me and rebukes me, at least for a second. And if I can't do it, if I had someone come and say, would you like me to take their off? I say, yeah, do it. Fast. <laughs> Go for it. And when Abishai said, I'll take care of this for you, David. David said, no, 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 no. This is from the Lord. Even if he's in sin. This is from the Lord. This is good. I needed to hear this. There's something in it that's good for me. I'm not going to I'm going to receive it. If David can submit to that kind of a dark providence from a wicked man, how free should we be to sweetly submit to a loving admonition from a dear brother or sister in Christ? Only grace can enable us to do that. So now I conclude by asking you this question Dear brother, dear sister, are you stupid? Or do you merely struggle with stupidity? By God's definition, if you cannot basically receive reproof, if you hate it, you are stupid. If you just struggle with it, like all of God's people do, then. And you, and you want to conquer it, then you have grace. But in either case, this is what I want to say to you as I conclude. You know what you and I need? We need a great Savior. Because pride is a horrible sin. We need a great atonement for our sin. We need a perfect payment for our sin. We need a perfect righteousness to cover us. And you know what else we need as Christians? We need power from God. Power to change. Power to repent. Power to crucify our pride. Power to love discipline. And all of this is in our Savior. Pardon and power. Pardon and power. So when you come to this text... Go away from it convinced of one of two things. I'm not saved and I desperately need to be born again. Or, I'm a Christian, but there's a whole lot of remaining sin that makes me sometimes hate, reproof. Jesus, thank you for making a perfect payment for my pride. And thank you for purchasing all the power that I need through the indwelling Holy Spirit to conquer that. Until I'm able to say, I love discipline. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're all guilty in one way or another of disobeying this passage. Uh, this, this passage reveals who we are, and we pray for grace. You know who basically hates reproof, and we pray that you would be gracious and let this be the sin that shows them their desperate need of a Savior. And may they flee to Jesus Christ, who, who never had to be reproved or rebuked for sin. May they flee to Him. And Lord, help those of us who know You and love You to grow in this grace. Give us power, Lord Jesus, power that You purchased for us by Your death upon the cross to conquer the remaining pride in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.